Most often our prayer life is filled with prayers for God to change outward circumstances, right? Prayers of asking. What has become nearly non-existent is the prayer for God to change our inward circumstances. When was the last time you prayed for God to change your heart so that your will could align with his will and not the other way around? He's after our will. He's after our hurt. He's after our pain. He's after our bitterness. He's after our confusion. He's after our internal man. And we only become the people God wants us to be through prayer. Prayer is how he shapes us to be like him. Prayer is intended to change you first before it ever changes your circumstances. This is the stage of prayer, prayers of surrender, where prayer changes us. Like, not the other way around. Prayer in this stage isn't about getting God to change. In this stage, prayer changes us. This is where wrestling with God changes us into the kind of people who are willing to do what we would never want to do in stage one kinds of prayers. Listen, prayers of surrender are not prayers of God, please do whatever I want. These are prayers of God, I don't really want to do this, uh, but I surrender to you so that your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayers of surrender. It's not my story, it's your story. So my dad tells a story uh, about growing up on the east side of Des Moines on Holbrook Street, and about how he had this bedroom in the basement uh, at his parents' house. And he loved this bedroom because it was just naturally dark, uh, because it was in the basement. And uh, dad didn't just like sleeping in the dark, he liked sleeping in the pitch black. And so he would, uh, he'd black out the windows, he'd get blankets and towels, and he'd put them in front of the door to try to make sure, you know, no light you know, shone through so he could just sleep in the pitch black. And he loved sleeping this way. And he did for, you know, many nights uh, over and over and over again until one night when uh, dad wakes up and he has to use the restroom and he can't find the light switch. So the way he tells the story is as a kid, you know, he's, he's like fumbling around the room. You know, he's like, he's like feeling for the walls. He's feeling for something to kind of give him a point of reference uh, and, and just can't figure it out, and this goes on for a really long time, you know, uh, he's, he's kind of a bit frantic, and so he goes back and sits on his bed, sort of reorients himself to the room where he thinks he is, and where, you know, he thinks the light switch is, and uh, goes and makes another attempt at it, and is, is unsuccessful again in finding the light switch, and so he talks about this story being one of those moments as a kid where he was just frightened, you know, as you could imagine, uh, a time where he felt powerless, you know, no matter like what he did, no matter what he attempted, no matter what he tried, like nothing worked, nothing fixed the situation, nothing changed uh, the situation that he was in. He just felt completely powerless. You know, I think that there are few things in life that are more haunting and more troubling than the times when we feel powerless. And I think that we all have seasons where we feel powerless as well. I think we all have seasons like that, times of being powerless, and uh, probably, you know, all in different ways and for sure in different spaces and in different forms, but I'm sure you've had a few of them in your life, maybe some significant, maybe some small, but you see, I, I don't know if there is a posture or a position that we as human beings hate being in more than the times when we feel powerless. You know, being, being stuck or trapped in something, uh, 
just can't seem you know, to get out of it, being a part of something you can't you know, get, get away from or say no to, being invited into something, uh, being expected to do something, you're in some sort of situation, and, and yet you do not have the ability to do what you need to do. You do not have the ability to do something that will affect or change the situation you're in. You just feel powerless. I don't know if you can relate to any of those times in your life, you know, and I was thinking about that, and to be honest with you, there have been several moments in my life when it comes to my relationship with Jesus, when it comes to uh, my spiritual life, where I have felt powerless. Times where it felt as if I was just sort of going through the motions. Times where it just sort of felt like I was uh, like, like I had good theology and I knew like certain things about God, but I didn't really feel it. I, I just didn't, I didn't feel it. Like the, the outcomes in my life just, just felt like where's the power at? And I don't know if you can relate to that at all. I'm sure many of you probably can. And if you can, I want to ask you a question as we get started here this morning. And the question is this, where do you get your power from? Where do you get your power from? You see, when I'm powerless, when I feel powerless, that is a sign to me that I have, I have come to the wrong source to find power. When I am powerless, it's a sign to me that the power is not found where I have been looking. And as we continue on this morning in our, in our summer teaching series, Love and Light, you know, we're kind of coming towards the end of it. Next week, we're going to uh, conclude this series. Um, as we... As we you know, continue on in this series, and we look at the heart of this passage in 1 John that was just read for you, I, I think that it is an invitation into the power that, uh, that I think maybe, maybe you've been struggling to find. It's an invitation into the power of prayer. So I want to spend the rest of the morning really just talking about, about this. And, uh, and to be honest with you, um, if you were here with us last week, you know, I preached a message on victory, and, and last week's, week's sermon, uh, it just, it just in, I guess, in nature was just very inspirational, I would say. This isn't one of those. This is, this is one of those messages that, uh, like, I just need you to kind of like, I need you to just sort of buckle up and, and just force yourself a little bit. Like, I, and, and I would just say this, too. You know, last week was great, and, and like I felt like last week was like, was like a necessary message. I felt that I was carrying something, uh, I, you know, from the Lord for that. But, but between the two, or between that, like an experience like that versus the content of what I want to teach you today, uh, which would I prefer you, like, internalize? It'd be this stuff right here. And so I want you to, to just sort of lean in with me and go with me on this ride as we talk about the power of prayer here this morning. If you've um, got your Bibles or you want to look on the screen, 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, the Apostle John uh, says this. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Okay, again, he's talking about the assurance of, of our salvation. So as he's writing to this first century church, one of, the, one of the key things he wants them to know clear is that they actually are Christians. Right, he writes this letter so that the Christians will know that they're actually Christians. So he, he shows them throughout this letter like what Christians do, how they live their life. What, is, what, what are some of the trademarks that we find in followers of Jesus? And so he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you can have this assurance. You can have this assurance of your faith. You don't have to like go through life doubting, wondering, am I really a Christian or am I not a Christian? 
And then he, then he like switches into verse, verse 14 and he says, this is the confidence we have. Okay, so he's trying to give confidence to these people. He's trying to, to give them assurance that they're really saved. And he says like, we have a confidence, we have a hope. He says, this is the confidence we have in, in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. So we're going to talk about these scriptures here today. If you're taking notes, I want you to catch this thought as we get started. Prayer is the secret sauce of Christianity, and without it, we become severely limited, reducing ourselves down to not much more than faith-based moralists. So without prayer, all we, we really have, practically speaking, is, is this sort of faith-based moralism, just, just good people. You know, we like Jesus, we love Jesus, but, but really all we have without prayer is just, is just you know, we're going we're gonna to do things maybe a little bit differently than other people do it. You know, maybe. You know, not always, for sure. There, there's no power. There's no power. In fact, uh, St. Maximus the Confessor says this, he said this, he said, theology without practice is the theology of demons. And so in other words, like what he's getting at is he's saying like demons have good theology, but they have bad practice, right? They have good theology, they have bad practice. James 2.19 says, you believe there is one God good, even the demons believe that, and they shudder. And so what James is getting at, what St. Maximus the Confessor is getting at is he's saying like, like the demons know who God is. Like the demons know who Jesus is, like for sure. Like they're not questioning that. They don't question who Jesus is, but they they also just, just do not submit their lives to the authority of Jesus. That's, that's the thing right there. Like they, they fully know. And so what I want you to catch this morning is this. Believing rightly without living rightly is highly problematic. Christianity is so much more than just making sure we believe the right things. It's so much more than that. Like it's, it's a piece. It's a part. Like I, I want you to believe the right things. That's what we do here. But Christianity is so much more than just believing the right things. Union with God, relationship with God, does not just require correct faith, it requires correct practice of faith. And so, so you know, if, if you're curious this morning, you know, um, maybe you've been with us a long time, maybe you haven't, you're curious about me as your pastor, I, I want you to understand some things about us. Like, as a church, like, we believe that God is inviting us into a living theology, right? We believe this. Like, like, we believe this wholeheartedly, that God is inviting us into a living theology full of power that not only affects our thinking, but affects the way that we live our life. And so this is why prayer matters. This is why prayer matters. It's, it's the secret sauce of Christianity. And most of us understand this, at least on some intellectual level, regardless of our experience with prayer. We understand this to a degree, but I would say most of us even, even understand that, that prayer is meant to be powerful. Like, I think, I think most of us agree with that. Like, you know, we, we read about prayer, we hear about prayer. Prayer is like a massive part of Christianity, and most of us just, just would agree that prayer is meant to be powerful, but how many of you have you read verses like this in 1 John or verses similar to this in the New Testament, and you find that they actually bring more confusion to you than they do comfort? Like, if we really ask anything, he hears us. We have what we've asked of him. That's a beautiful promise, right? I mean, it's a beautiful promise in Scripture. I love it. 
But for many people, the beauty of that promise begins to fade the more they become convinced that their prayers don't work or that prayer just doesn't work altogether. And what I want to talk about this morning is a topic that I think all of us have struggled with at different times in our lives. It's a topic that I almost wish could be a one-on-one conversation with some of you because of how personal the topic affects, affects us at different times in, in our lives. You know, I, I wish we could kind of just sit down and do the one-on-one on this. What I want to talk about this morning is one of the most common themes that has come up over the years of being a pastor, and that is this if you're taking notes. Why are answers to prayer so inconsistent? Why are answers to prayer so inconsistent? Have you experienced this? That God is somewhat inconsistent in the way he answers prayer in your life? You know, sometimes when I pray, like I, I, I pray and I just feel so aligned with heaven. I don't know if you ever felt that. Like, I feel like, man, like amazing things are happening and I feel so aligned. And then other times I pray and it's like, uh, like what happened there? You know what I mean? It felt like, felt like nothing was breaking through the ceiling. You know what I mean? Like, there are times in my life where I have been left confused when it comes to prayer. Times where I have felt that God was just inconsistent. Can we just get some consistency here? You're going to answer this prayer, but you're not going to answer that prayer. You're going to answer their prayer, but you're not going to answer my prayer. You've ever just had times where you felt like God was just a bit inconsistent when it comes to prayer? And for some of us, quite honestly, it can cause us to think that our prayer formula must be off. Yeah, you ever just thought that? You're like, maybe I'm doing this whole thing wrong. Like, you know, am I supposed to start with a request or do I start with thanksgiving? Like, how do I do this right? How long do I have to like thank God before I can make a request of him? We start thinking, maybe there's something wrong in like just my cadence. I got to get my cadence figured out. The thought that people have is, you know, if I just knew the proper order that my prayers were supposed to be in, then things would maybe just work out so much better. And so what happens is we determine that the problem with prayer is either with God or it's with me. It's with us. That's what we, that's what we determine. When prayer just doesn't, doesn't seem to be working the way we think it should work, we determine that the problem is either with God or the problem was, is with us. And so, and so for you, potentially, when it comes to unanswered prayer, maybe it has caused you at times to doubt God's power. And it's, it's, it's potentially, you know, I mean, that's, that's maybe understandable depending on the situation. You're like, I just really was desperate. I really needed an answer. And so maybe for you, when it comes to unanswered prayer, at times it has caused you to doubt God's power. But most people who doubt God's power, you know, they, they, they don't, they don't d- uh, doubt God's heart. Like, I, I've noticed this with Christians that I talk to. Like, they, they just wonder, like, man, I don't know if this God even cares about this kind, of, this kind of stuff. I don't know if he's really involved. They don't necessarily doubt his heart, but they doubt his power. Because, because you, you know he's good. You know that God is good. You see his goodness in Jesus. When you read about Jesus in the New Testament, and we read about everything Jesus did, like, you know that God is good. But the confusion that unanswered prayer can bring on us can cause us at times to question his power. And so all the talk about this interventionist God who intervenes in our life, who steps in and changes outcomes and does the miraculous, a lot of people, you know, come to the place where they just basically feel like, I'm not sure that, that God really intervenes in my life, let alone the lives of billions of people on planet Earth. And so the problem, we think, with prayer is either with God, okay, or we think maybe it's with us. And so there's a lot of people, you know, I talk to, and they're thinking, you know, 
Maybe I'm not fasting enough. You know, I, I know I hate fasting. I know that I don't ever like to fast. So maybe that's my problem. Maybe if I just fasted more, I'd get the answer to my prayers. Or maybe I'm not praying with enough faith. I just got to get more faith and then, and then the prayers are going to work. Or maybe, maybe there's just all this stuff wrong in me and God can just see it. And so he just doesn't want to answer my prayers because there's all this like sin and bad habits and stuff. And so, yeah, clearly I don't have a direct line to God. I think that the question we all ask at times is this, if you're taking notes, how does prayer work? How does prayer work? And I want to try my best this morning to explain to you how prayer works and why, at times, it can feel inconsistent. See, I think that there are different stages to prayer. Truly. Different stages to prayer. All of us find, find ourselves in one of these stages. Now, I just got to give you a little bit of a, of a disclaimer because this is not to, meant to be viewed as like if you're in like the first stage, then you're, you're a baby. And if you're in the third stage, then you're like some elite Christian, you know, because we all at times, I think, have our feet, our lives in multiple stages of prayer at, at one time. And so I want to I wanna kind of just, just walk you through this. And, and, and like I said, like, I just need you to just sort of muscle up a little bit, Okay. I want, I want to help you understand why prayer can be in, inconsistent. Stage one, when it comes to prayer, prayers of asking. And this is probably the stage most of us are, are familiar with. These are the prayers about getting what we want from God, making requests of God. And believe it or not, this type of prayer is actually encouraged in the Bible. We are encouraged to ask in the Bible. Look at these scriptures. Look at, look at what the Apostle John says. 1 John 5, 15, and, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. We are encouraged in the Bible to ask. The Gospel of John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14 says, and I will, and this is Jesus, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And then Jesus, in the famous Sermon on the Mount, you know, where he is, he is giving maybe, maybe the, the, the most incredible uh, um, discourse on the ethical demands of the kingdom of God. He, for some reason, stops in the middle of this sermon more than once in, in chapter 6 and in chapter 7, and he begins to talk about prayer. And in Matthew 7, towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says this. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for a bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you, then, though you, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So these are, good, these are good scriptures, right? And there's, there's some beautiful promises here about asking and receiving and God answering prayer. And, and yet, for a lot of us, if we're honest with ourselves, verses like this actually can bring more confusion than they can bring comfort. Because, because we seem to see some sort of disconnect between, between what the Bible says here about these scriptures and what we see in our own life when it comes to answered prayer. Am I, am I right? I mean, can we, just be, can we just keep it honest this morning? Keep it real for, for a moment. Stage one prayers, prayers of asking, this is what happens. A lot of our prayers here are where we simply ask for God to act, where we simply ask God to do something. 
And for a lot of people, this type of prayer is represented in the early stages of their walk with God. It's, it's when they're new believers, when they're new Christians, they just ask. They just ask. They don't know any better, right? This is, you, you just ask. You ask God for things. You come to God with a list. It's like, it's, like, it's, like, it's like a checklist of things you need God to do. I need, I need, I need a raise. I need, I, need, I need to be healed. I need, I need you know, you, you to deal with my husband or to deal with my wife, right? Could you just teach them something? I mean, we come to God with all of these requests. And it typically it represents, you know, early Christians or, or new believers in Christ who pray prayers a lot like this. And it's not necessarily wrong or bad. We're encouraged to ask in the Bible, look, like my kids have no problem asking me for things. If you're a parent here, you know that that is true. My, my kids don't, they, they, have, they have no shame in asking me for things. In fact, we can be in the car going to a store and we can have a talk before we even get inside the store about, yeah, you will not ask me for one thing. I am not buying you anything. My kids, my kids will agree and they just can't help themselves. How many of you know that, right? They will agree for a moment and we get in the store and they, and they, just, they just keep asking. They're just like, dad, can we get this? Can we get that? Listen to me. When my kids ask me for things, you know what? What is being established in their life is the nature of their father. What's being established in their life is how their dad feels about them. When they have a need or when they have a want, they know that they can come to their dad because the nature of their dad is to do something about it. And I don't always give them everything they ask for. I don't always answer every request with a yes. But what my kids learn about me is the nature of their father, that I, I desire to do something about their need. I desire to do something about their one. And so Jesus says in Matthew 7 here in the Sermon on the Mount, like we were talking, he says, ask, seek, knock, because your heavenly father is better than your earthly father. And so there is at least something to this first stage of prayer where where according to Scripture, God seems to delight in responding to our requests. He seems to want to give us the desires of our hearts. He seems to want us to ask and for him to grant those requests. Did you know that the question Jesus asks most in the Gospels in some sort of variation is a question like similar to, you know, what do you want me to do for you? So when people would come to him, when he would interact with them, you know it's the question that Jesus asks in some sort of variation multiple times. What do you want me to do for you? It's not a question that he seems to be bothered by. He actually seems to be willing to meet the need, willing to heal, willing to make that person whole. The compassion and the power of Jesus is somehow awakened by need in people, in the Gospels, in the Gospels. So prayers of asking, if you're taking notes, Prayers of asking are prayers where we are asking God for our will to be done on earth, essentially. There's not a problem with asking God. not a problem with making a request. But prayers of asking and prayers of request essentially are where we are trying to will God to do our will. Where we are asking for God to do our will, for our will to be done on earth. And, and sometimes he's just so kind that he does it. Now, there are additional stages to prayer. That as you mature in Jesus, as you mature in God, God wants to move you out of this first stage of just prayers of, of asking, and he wants to move you into some additional stages. Now, let me just tell you before I even get to that, 
moving out of this first stage can be incredibly painful. Any child who's whose parent says no to them when they're used to having them say yes, uh, it can be quite painful. (laughs) The result is usually a tantrum of some kind, right? And to be honest with you, most people never move beyond this first stage when it comes to prayer. Most people never move beyond asking prayers. Like I said at the beginning, you know, like, like there's, there's no shame if you're in this stage, like truly. There's no, sta- there's no shame. No shame if you've only ever experienced this stage of prayer. Hopefully today you can find some in- inspiration to keep progressing into the additional stages that I think God wants to pull you into and bring you into. And, and so um, the second stage of prayer, if you're taking notes, are prayers of intimacy. Prayers of intimacy, prayers of relationship. Prayers of relationship. This is, where, this is where God wants to know, do you only love me because of the things I do for you? Or do you love me because of who I am to you? This is what, this is what God wants to know. The, the, this stage of prayer, God is essentially asking you, do you only love me because of the things I do for you? The, the answers to prayer, the th- times when I say yes, the times when I give you what you want, do you only love me because of the things I do for you? Or do you love me because of who I am to you? Do you love me for me or do you love me for what I can do? 1 John 5, 14, again, the the Apostle John says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he what? He, He hears us. John says that God hears us. He, He hears us when we pray. This speaks to intimacy. This speaks to proximity. This speaks to relationship. You have to be so close to someone to hear them speak. And and, and John wants us to have this confidence in prayer that God actually hears us when we pray. It speaks to intimacy. Listen, I believe that 90% of our prayers, 90% of our prayer lives are spent trying to convince God to like us and trying to, to, to convince God to listen to us. 90% 90% of our prayer lives in, in, in the church are spent trying to convince God to like us and trying to convince God to listen to us. And I just wonder what would happen if we began praying with a, with a belief that both of those things are already true. That he already does like you and that he already does hear you. When you pray, you have his ear. He loves you. And those aren't just my words. That's, just not, that's not just my thought. Like this is, this is from like, the Holy Scriptures, right? This is what the Scripture of God teaches us. That when we pray, we have his ear and that he loves us. You know, the number one thing I think that could transform your prayer life overnight, if you actually believed it, is this. It's that when you pray, you don't need to convince God to like you. You already have his affection. Number one thing I think that could, that could transform most of our prayers is if we actually believe this right here. That when you pray, you don't need to convince God to like you. You already have his his affection. You see, in this stage of prayer, prayers of intimacy, God is, he's not trying to show us his power and what he can do in this stage. Prayers of asking, the first stage, yeah, he's showing us his power a little bit, right? He's answering our requests. He's showing us how good he is and what he can do. 
This, this, this second stage, God's not trying to show us his power and what he can do. He's trying to show us his face and his heart. He's trying to show us what he's like. He's trying to show us who he is, his nature, what God is like. So there is a growth that I think that is intended to happen in us when we move away from only ever praying prayers of, you know, help me God or thank you God or, or could you do this for me God? There is a growth that is intended to happen when we move away from only ever praying prayers like that to where we start to pray prayers of, who are you, God? Show me your glory, God. I want to know you, God. Psalm 27, verse 4. King David prays a pretty remarkable prayer. He says this. He says, one thing I ask of the Lord. Okay, so he begins with an asking prayer. He begins with an ask, a request. He puts an ask on God. But look at what he's asking for. He says, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the, of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. I wonder how many of you, if I asked you to describe God, you would mention the word beauty. Right? How many of you, like I said, hey, tell me, tell me what God's like. Oh, he's just, he's just so beautiful. He's just so beautiful. What do you want to do with your life? I just, I just want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord all the days of my life in, in his temple. That's, that's what I want to do. Anybody? Anybody ever said something like that? Of, of course not. Like, who, who says something like this? And so it's obvious in a verse like this in Psalm chapter 27 that something significant has happened to King David. Something significant has happened in his life. He has received a vision of God. He's received a vision of who God is. And his response isn't to, isn't to just seek God's power. His response isn't just to seek God's might. It isn't just to seek what God can do for him. His response is to seek who God is. He says, I want to gaze upon your beauty. I want to gaze upon your beauty. This is, this is the cry. This is the prayer of intimacy that David has before the Lord. Did you know that the human heart is drawn to beauty? We're drawn to beauty, aren't we? When you see someone who is truly beautiful, what happens? You're just, you're just, you're just kind of stunned a bit. It's why we use the word stunning to describe beauty. Because with beauty, you can be overcome. You can be sort of swept up. And this is what is going on with David in Psalm chapter 27. He is stunned by who God is. He has, he has received a vision, a revelation of who God is. And he's moved beyond just praying prayers of asking God to do things in his life and make his life better. And he is caught up in who God is. He is stunned by who God is. And he says, I just want to gaze upon your beauty all the days of my life. And this right here, David, this is someone who has moved beyond, moved away from the first stage of prayer and they have moved into the prayers of intimacy it is in this stage where God is trying to develop relational things inside of us. Maybe, you know, you've heard language like this in the church for a long time, that God desires to have a relationship with you. That it's, 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 not, it's not about religion, it's about relationship. I mean, those are some of the buzz phrases in the church. Like, it is true. It's 100% true. And there is, an, there, there, there is a gear to your prayer life that needs to hit prayers of intimacy. You gotta hit that place. God wants to develop relationship with you. He wants you to be stunned by who he is and just, and just, and just like David in, in Psalm 27, just gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Be swept up in who he is. Be caught up in who God is. 
for taking notes this morning to look at this thought with me. You will not be able to develop a spiritual life that can sustain pain and suffering while in public places. You can only develop a spiritual life that can sustain hardship through intimacy with God. Right? It's, it's in the quiet place. It's in the secret place. It's in, in the times alone with God where you develop some muscle. You develop what you need to sustain yourself through difficult times. And you want to you know why, why prayer matters so much? You want to know why it's such a big deal? Because the way that we become the people that God has called us to be is through prayer. Prayer actually changes us. It changes us. And I would just say this, you know, when it comes to, to this stage of prayer, I believe that the, the dream of God is that your secret life would be your most beautiful life. When it, if you talk about, like, what does God want for you? Well, you know, what, what could he desire most in your life? It's that your, your secret life would be your most beautiful life. You see, our world is drunk on public displays of affection, aren't we? Social media, we want everyone to see it. Even spiritually, we're, like, we're this way, you know? You see people quote, you know, putting quotes Bible verses, the whole thing, you know, uh, everything's just, just perfect. Um, that's not necessarily wrong. And, and actually, in some ways, it's, it's fine and it's great. It's, it's good to put out there what God is doing in your life. But the way of Jesus is an upside-down way. I don't know if you realize that yet. And he desires private displays of affection. The moments that no one else gets to see except for him. And this is the stage of prayer. I, like, I promise you, like, like it, will, it will change your, your life if you allow God to move you into this stage of prayer. And so look at this thought with me if you're taking notes. Prayers of intimacy are where you are getting so swept up into who God is that having him far outweighs the outcomes of your prayer. You're just having him. It's like David here. It's like you're just stunned by who God is. Like who could love me like this? Who does this? Who gives their life for someone? You know, you're just caught up into who, who he is. And so that's the second stage of prayer. The third stage would be this. It'd be prayers of surrender. So we have prayers of asking, stage one. Prayers of intimacy or relationship, stage two. Prayers of surrender, stage three. This is not a stage that God brings you into. It's a stage that he invites you into. It's not a stage that he requires you to go into. It's a stage that he invites you into. And you have a chance to respond. And I honestly don't think that most people do because it's really hard. I, I, don't think, I think most people don't, don't respond to the invitation to move into this stage of prayer. This is the kind of prayer that we see in the garden with Jesus in Luke chapter 22. If you remember this, this story, Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane on the night that he is to be betrayed, the night he's to be handed over. To, to be beaten, ultimately to be, to be crucified. And the night, before, or the night before his crucifixion, the night of his betrayal, Jesus is in, is in the garden and he is crying out in desperation. The Bible tells us he, 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 he's, it's, it's so intense, he's so overcome that he's, he's sweating drops of blood. In fact, Garden of Gethsemane is one of the most incredible places like I've ever been in my life. Uh, it, it, it's one of the places that was most profound to me when I was in Israel because of this, this encounter that Jesus has with God right here. It says in verse 41, it says, He withdrew about a stone's throat beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, 
If you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And so what's going on here is Jesus is asking if there's another way. Like, is there any other way to get this done? He's asking his father, is there another way to do this? Can, can, we, can we figure this out some other way? Certainly, you're able to figure out an, an, another option here, right? Is there something you have up your sleeve that you could figure out in this moment? And he's asking God to take this cup from him, the cup of the, of the wrath of God that he would have to endure on the cross for the sins of the world. Do you know that this is the only time in the Gospels where Jesus asked the Father for something for himself? It's the only time. Do you know that time after time after time, people come to Jesus and they ask him for things? Over and over again, people come to him and they ask him for for all sorts of things. And do you know how often he, he gives them what they ask of him? Every single time. There is not a there is not one time in the Gospels where you see Jesus telling somebody no where you see Jesus sending someone away still sick, still lame, still crippled. There's not not one place in the Gospels, and this is is the one time right here where Jesus asks God for something for himself. And do you know what happens? The Father says no. The Father says no. So what happens here? Jesus, ultimately, he surrenders to God, and he he says, not my will, but yours be done. You see, when Jesus prays in Luke 22, he's real about his feelings, but his feelings don't control him. Nor does he try to control God with his feelings. He's not trying to manipulate God into giving him the outcome he desires most. He is interested in surrendering himself to God. He doesn't use his ability to communicate with his Father as a means of doing his own will. He submits to the story that his father is weaving through his life. If you're, looking, uh, if you're taking notes, look at this with me. Um, surrender is the only way God can free us from an, an addiction to outcomes of prayer. Um, listen, you want to know why your faith gets shattered at times when, when, when prayers go unanswered? You want to know why you go, you, you go through seasons of just complete doubt when, when prayers don't, answers to prayer don't come the way you wanted them to come. And listen, listen, this is, this is, this is from like, like a good place in my heart to pastor you well. It's because you're addicted to the outcome of, of your prayers, getting what you want. Surrender is the only way that God can free us from an addiction to the outcomes of prayers. Outcomes are great. Listen to me, outcomes are great, and we want to see God move, and we want to see God answer prayer. We want to see God heal people. We want to see God do the miraculous things, but far too many people are so addicted to outcomes that they assume the worst about God when the outcome they wanted doesn't happen. And I've seen this time and time again. I've seen this so many times over the years where people are, they're they're just, they're just, They're just beside themselves. Their faith is at an all-time low. They're not sure they even want to continue on anymore when it comes to serving Jesus because they didn't get the outcome that they wanted. Listen to me. The reason why God wants you to surrender your life to him is so that he can free you from an addiction of always having to get exactly what you want. God wants to free you from this addiction to outcomes of prayer. And this is where the attitude of our hearts begins to change. You move into this, this type of prayer in your life and the attitude of your heart begins to change where you're so in love with God that you don't even care necessarily if he answers your prayer. You just want to gaze upon his beauty. 
You're just caught up in who he is. You've seen him do so much in your life that there is just, there's just no way like you'd ever walk away from that. Like he's already done so much in your life that, that you're just, it's like, man, he, he, could, he could do nothing the rest of my life and I've seen enough. God wants, God wants to lovingly lead you away from a place where your, your faith hinges on whether or not your prayers are answered the way you want them to be answered. And he wants to lead you into a place where you experience communion with God, intimacy with God, and ultimately to a place where you surrender all of who you are to him and you trust him with the outcome. And you let the Father weave his story into your life. Daniel chapter three is an incredibly famous story where we read about three young Jewish boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who have been brought uh, from Israel from uh, Jerusalem, in, and they are, they are exiles in Babylon, and they are having to serve a very wicked king named Nebuchadnezzar. They are, they are serving under him. They, they are having to do uh, whatever he wants. In fact, in Daniel 1, uh, Nebuchadnezzar changes their names from uh, you know, Jewish names is, uh, to, to Babylonian names. He gives them names that, that, that uh, represent their pagan gods. What is he doing here? He's trying to get them to assimilate into the pagan culture, into the Babylonian life, and to forget the God of, 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 of Israel. And so if you know anything about Nebuchadnezzar, he was an incredibly narcissistic, uh, uh, incredibly evil man, and he uh, decided to build a statue in his likeness, as, as you do. Right? It was like nine feet tall, and it looked, you know, just like him. And he was just so caught up in himself that he, uh, he wanted everybody to stop what they were doing and bow down and worship at this idol every time the music played. Everyone. And if you didn't do it, uh, you would be immediately taken and thrown into a fiery furnace. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they have, they have a decision to make in, in, in this time, right? They have a decision to make. What are they going to do? Well, the music plays, and they stand, they stand up. They refuse to bow down. And obviously, the king gets angry, right? He, he's angry. He, he's burning with anger and, and so approaches them. And this is the interaction that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have with Nebuchadnezzar. It says this in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So the attitude here from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is he he can save us, but even if he doesn't save us, it's okay. Like, I have no doubt. They have no doubt that God can intervene on their behalf. They have no doubt that, that they serve the God who, who can do the impossible and rescue them, but they're also okay if he doesn't. And if he doesn't intervene, it's not going to change anything. They're, 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 they, they would rather burn up with God than thrive with King Nebuchadnezzar. It doesn't matter. These are young men who have been freed from an addiction to outcomes of prayer. No doubt they want to be rescued. No doubt they want, to be, they, they want God to step in. I mean, no doubt. But they have, they have surrendered their life so much to Jesus, to who God is. 
that their faith doesn't hinge on the outcomes of their prayers. If you're taking notes, most often our prayer life is filled with prayers for God to change outward circumstances, right? Prayers of asking. What has become nearly non-existent is the prayer for God to change our inward circumstances. When was the last time you prayed for God to change your heart so that your will could align with his will and not the other way around? Like honestly, when was the last time you prayed a prayer like that? He's after our will. He's after our hurt. He's after our pain. He's after our bitterness. He's after our confusion. He's after our internal man. And we only become the people God wants us to be through prayer. Prayer is how he shapes us to be like him. Again, if you're taking notes, I'm going to have you guys go ahead and come up. A prayer is intended to change you first before it ever changes your circumstances. Prayer is intended to change you first before it ever changes your circumstances. This is the stage of prayer, prayers of surrender, where prayer changes us. Like, not the other way around. A prayer, prayer in this stage isn't about getting God to change. In this stage, prayer changes us. This is where wrestling with God changes us into the kind of people who are willing to do what we would never want to do in stage one kinds of prayers. Listen, prayers of surrender are not prayers of God, please do whatever I want. These are prayers of God, I don't really want to do this, uh, but I surrender to you so that your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Prayers of surrender. It's not my story, it's your story. I want you to write the story of my life. If you're taking notes, you're going to have to surrender your need to be in control to figure out how prayer works. You're going to have to surrender your need to be in control to figure out how prayer works. In prayer, real prayer, this is where we begin to think God's thoughts. This is where we begin to desire the things he desires where we begin to love the things that he loves, where we, where we begin to will the things that he wills. Because we are, we are Christ's body on earth. And the question that he is asking us is, who can I use to do my will? Who will surrender their will so that my will can be done? Who can I use to do my will? It's the question that God is asking his people. Who can I use to do my will? And if we aren't careful, the obsession we have with control will become the very thing that causes us to say no when God is asking us to say yes. If we aren't careful, we'll just be convinced that God would never ask us to do something like that. That's just silly. There's no way God would require that of me. That's not safe. There's no way God would put me in a position to have to do something like that, and if we aren't care careful, this obsession we have with needing to be in control will actually cause us to say no when God is, is asking us to say yes. I want to just sort of close with some observations that I have had, some things that I've noticed. As, I, as I've observed this cultural moment that we live in, as I, as I have observed the current cultural reality that we live in, I think the thing that I have noticed most often of late, if you're taking notes, is that people's hearts are hard. 
People's hearts are hard. We're living in a moment in history where the real issue at hand as a, as a society is the condition of our heart. And it includes those of us who are Christians more than we would like to admit. We're facing circumstances, we're facing conditions. We're facing a culture that is leading towards what I would call a slow drip of cynicism. A slow drip of pain where our hearts become hard before God, often brought on through unanswered prayer. So maybe you don't like completely walk away, but there is, there is at least a fraction of your heart that does. When prayers don't go the way you want them to go and outcomes don't come the way you want them to, what happens oftentimes for people is there is a portion, there is a fraction of their heart that just, that just gets a little turned off, gets a little jaded. We start to protect our heart before God instead of surrendering our heart to him. Let me tell you something this morning. If you notice that there is hardness in your heart, it, it should concern you. It should concern you. And I don't say that out of judgment. I don't say that out of guilt. I say that out of knowing that you don't want to go where hard hearts take you. You don't want to go where cynicism takes you. Hardness of your heart, cynicism, it's, it's the thing that your spiritual enemy wants you to latch on to. It's the very thing he wants to see happen in your heart and in your soul and your life where you begin to protect yourself before God, where you begin to be somehow convinced that the prayer just, just doesn't work quite like you thought it did. Hardening of your heart and cynicism will cause you to reduce your prayers to, to, to a size that you can predict the outcome for. It'll cause you to stop praying big prayers. It'll, it'll cause you to stop believing for God to do the things that only he can do. And if you're taking notes, you've got to catch this big thought today. If there's anything worth fighting for, it's a soft and vulnerable heart before the Lord. If there is anything worth fighting for in your life, it is to have a soft and a vulnerable heart before the Lord. I mean, there's, there's literally nothing that I would want more for you as your pastor than to know that you had a soft and vulnerable heart before the Lord. I want you to keep asking. I want you to keep asking big things of God. But I want you to let him move you beyond that stage into a stage of intimacy where you're swept up and caught up in God. Like David, you just want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Where having him is much more valuable to you than having the outcomes to your prayers. And I want, to, I want you to, to, to just see this morning the invitation of God to, to bring you into the this, this stage of, of, of praying prayers of surrender. Where you're letting God write the story of your life. Where walking away from him is not an option. It's just not possible. You've seen too much. 
You're going to protect your heart and not let this thing get hardened because outcomes don't come the way you want them to come. You're going to trust God. You're going to trust that he is good. You're going to trust that he is writing a good story with your life. And you're going to fight to have a soft and vulnerable vulnerable heart before him. Where we let our heart become hard, where we let cynicism and bitterness fester in us, it has a power that is larger than you can imagine, and it will take you far away. You look at your heart today and you go, you know what? There's some stuff in there that's hardened. Some stuff in there that's just maybe even offended with God a little bit. I would just tell you as your pastor to prioritize your heart above all things. Prioritize your heart above all things. Because when you allow your heart to be worked upon by Jesus, freedom and wholeness begins to happen. Healing begins to take place. You begin to experience God in ways that you've never experienced him before. True intimacy with the Father takes place. Relationship actually is developed. Rich Villadas says this, he's a pastor I follow in New York, and he says, prayer is not about throwing holy words at God to see what sticks. It's rather entrance to a new way of seeing reality, the opening of ourselves to God's presence in an act that trains us in love. It's an act that trains us in love. It's not about just getting what we want. It's about being, being changed and transformed into his likeness and into who he, who he is. I mean, like the entire title of my message today is prayer that changes us. And we've got to get to the point where we stop praying prayers that seek to change God. But we, we allow ourselves to come to a place where we actually pray prayers that change us. We align ourselves with heaven. We align ourselves with God. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have your way in me, O oh God. I've seen enough. I've tasted enough. I know that you're good. Have your way with my life. Prayer is meant to soften our hearts. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you just bow your heads with me for just one moment? If you're aware this morning that the condition of your heart is hardened in some way, I want to just encourage you with some prayer today. If you wouldn't mind, just every head bowed, just raising your hand. I want to just see if, if you would just say, you know, the, the condition of my heart, there, there's some hardness in there, and I just need God to touch it. I need my heart to be soft. And you want to fight right now to have a soft and vulnerable heart before the Lord. I want to just, I want to just see where you're at. I want to, there's, there's many hands. You're in good company today. We're going to fight to have a soft and vulnerable heart before the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would just come right now. You'd come to all the confusion. You'd come to all the pain. All the unanswered prayers, God, and the things that that has done to us, the, the way our hearts have become jaded, the way, the way our hearts have become closed off. Lord, and I pray that you would just, you would just touch every pain in Jesus' name. You'd touch every, every doubt in Jesus' name. 
You'd bring freedom today to us, to our soul, to our heart. God, we want to fight to have soft and vulnerable hearts before you. Lord, I pray that you would move us from just praying prayers of asking and asking and asking to a place of maturity where we start to pray prayers of intimacy. God, where we pray that we just want to know you. We want to know who you are. We want to gaze upon your beauty. We want to see your face. We want to see you do the things that only you can do. We want to see you move in our city. We want to see you move in powerful ways. We want to see your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I pray that prayers of intimacy would begin to erupt in your church, begin to erupt in your people here, God. I pray that we would start to move out of just stage one prayers and begin to move into stage two and stage three type prayers. And it would not just revolutionize us on a personal level, but it would begin to just completely transform what our church looks and feels like. Take us to the deep places in you, God. Take us to the places, the secret places, God, with you. And then we just come before you and we surrender our life today. We surrender our life, God. Every person just dealing with with something where maybe their heart is hardened to a degree. God, I just pray complete surrender right now. And we give you the pen to our life, the pen to our story. You're far better at writing these things than we are, and we just invite you to come do it. In Jesus' name. Amen.